Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined as always by my co-host and very good friend, Dr. Trey Sertish. Trey, good afternoon. Yes, hi. We are coming up on the end of your always weird, sometimes it's seven on, seven off, sometimes it's five on, four off, three on, two off, some odd schedule. Yes. You're back on Thursday. Thursday. Yes, mm -hmm. you and I uh, hung out yesterday, chatted a little bit about this. Something I'm realizing that, that I did that now in retrospect looks maybe not in poor taste, but looks a little naive given the industry that we're in is a little bit the early theme of our show was around like, hey, like we're returning to normal and things are opening up and like how wonderful is that? And wouldn't you know it, counting your chickens before they're hatched, you mentioned to me yesterday that uh, COVID and the COVID infected patients are back on the rise in your, in your place of work. Yeah, yeah. It's an unfortunate thing. It's not an entirely surprising thing, given what is being termed the Delta variant, which is just through various pressures to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, it will mutate and transform. And one of the ways that it is selected to transform into is become more transmissible, so easier to get. And so it makes sense the easier to get, the more successful those viruses are. So the Delta virus is the most transmissible, at least of the major variants that we've seen. And so it, we would reach this inflection point where although, depending on who you're reading, we're hovering around 60 to 70% of adults in the United States vaccinated. That's okay for perhaps the original variant, but then not the subsequent ones because it's so, so much easier to transmit. And so, yeah, we've like kind of pushed into this new surge of admissions in the hospital is getting very, very busy again, unfortunately. And, but fortunately that not with people who have been vaccinated. So like the vaccine works, it's just only if you take it. And that's the unfortunate thing that we're seeing, which, but also frustrating, which is all these people who have access easy to vaccine are not getting it and therefore getting ill. Hmm. That's well said. Yeah, the I think President Biden was was um, quoted as saying recently, like this is a at this stage it's sort of a, a, a resurgence of the unvaccinated. It was some term mm -hmm. yeah. around that 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 that's large. I don't know if that's largely what you're seeing in the hospital. Is if, if you're hospitalized, it's because you're unvaccinated. And I think my my, my layman's I'm I'm an industry professional, but I I don't know medicine. I don't claim to be clinical. What it reminds me of is the flu shot, which which the mm -hmm. old thing about the flu shot was if you get the flu shot, it doesn't mean you won't get the flu. But what it means is that if you get the flu, your experience with the flu will be better than <laughs> someone who didn't get the flu vaccine. Yeah, it's just more exaggerated. The efficacy or the effectiveness of the vaccine, depending on who you're getting, is upwards of ninety or greater percent. What does that mean? That means that the the, degree, the, the likelihood of transmission in addition to the severity of symptoms is diminished and the likelihood of progressing to severe disease and def as defined by needing oxygen, needing to be in the hospital. Of course, critical illness in which you would die, which is a small minority of patients, but if enough people get sick, it turns into a sizable chunk of people as we've seen now with millions dying across the, the world. And unlike the flu vaccine, though, which is very hit or miss year to year because the way the influenza virus is sharp, we largely have to guess what the upcoming season is going to mutate into and try and vaccinate accordingly to that. We have designed a very effective, as I'm sure most people have heard, mRNA uh, vaccine, not, not all are 
like that. But that's a large, largely accepted one in the United States. And this one functions very differently than uh, a flu vaccine. And so it's much more effective. And so it's kind of sad that, again, it's all of, like you say, all of those hospitalizations and deaths are from the unvaccinated. Yeah, that's really very sobering. The mm-hmm. you and I were chatting before we hit record. The the uh, you had a you did have a like what feels like it's working in healthcare related to that around the vaccines though. Like mm-hmm. the silver lining yeah. is that in a in a in a backwards way, this is evidence that like getting vaccinated does have an appreciable impact right. versus getting unvaccinated. I remember hearing people say getting vaccinated, getting unvaccinated, we're all going to get it anyways, was a, was a term mm-hmm. I heard, which that may or may not be true, but it's not really about are you getting it or, or are you not getting it? Obviously, transmission is, is a big part of the conversation, but let's say we're just talking about your own self-care and, and taking care of your own well-being. If you're vaccinated and you get it, your outcomes are going to be drastically different, mm-hmm. potentially, potentially, mm-hmm. not potentially, you're, yeah, you are actually. very likely to actually. not end up in the hospital, which is, is significant for a number of reasons. For outside of the medical repercussions, and this is related to the story we're going to talk about later, there's financial repercussions mm-hmm. uh, for that. Hospital visits are expensive, are very, mm-hmm. very expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people know that in theory, but until someone gets gets an ER bill, uh, for five hundred to you know two thousand dollars, it it doesn't hit people that oh my gosh I I bought a I bought a used car when I went to the ER thinking I had was having a heart attack they gave me an antacid yeah uh, yeah that's yeah, absolutely I mean preventative care is the best and I would say not only the most effective but also the cheapest way mm. to to run a healthcare system and this is the most clear cut contemporaneous evidence of that which is if you get your vaccine which is largely free then you can avoid illness and get back to normal i mean that that's that's the reality of it is is you can get back to to normal if you want to play to people's inherent kind of selfishness of how does this affect my life like you're saying well that's kind of how you do it because as long as these hospitalizations increase and that affects people in other ways that they may not realize, which is, yes, I may not be getting ill enough or likely to get ill enough to need hospital for, for COVID, but guess what? You still need a hospital if there are other problems. What if your you know, wife or sister uh, or daughter are pregnant and they need to go to the hospital? It's not to say that they're not going to have a bed, but they still got to go where all the other sick people are. And do you feel comfortable with that? What if you have a heart attack? What if you get cancer? It slows everything down. And that's the thing that we've seen and talked about pretty ceaselessly throughout the pandemic about which is there are ripple effects hmm. when the healthcare system is really strained hmm. not just the workers within but the the systems that support everything and so and that's going to feed into like we're talking about these surprise medical bills issue because if your system is largely now set up to be reactionary but is now becoming increasingly stressed to being more reactionary then your your likelihood of poor outcomes and higher costs really really increase yeah i appreciate that the the other silver lining there mm-hmm. with regards to healthcare workers as you as you mentioned that are being asked to be on the on the front lines is the fact that it feels like we've done a fairly effective job within healthcare at keeping our healthcare workers safe that's yeah. not always a, a guarantee in these sorts of uh, situations mm-hmm. you were mentioning this yesterday what's working in healthcare n95 masks those are working pretty well in yes. healthcare Right now, yeah. that that um, you, you, you've cared for what 
Hundreds. Hundreds of COVID positive patients directly. When you mentioned when we were talking offline, you've had other peers that uh, haven't felt comfortable where, where your team has had to pick up the slack uh, in the hospital you work at. And you've been able to do so safely, which is which is uh, wonderful. Obviously, you're vaccinated now, but there was certainly a time where you weren't vaccinated and, and yeah, you were- Once a month. Yep. And so I'm, I'm very encouraged that w- the people that don't always have a choice, you know, obviously in some, in some respect, healthcare workers choose to be on the front lines, but caring for someone that has a, a GI issue is not the same as caring for someone that has an infectious disease that could affect you or your family. Yeah. And, and that speaks to, the, I think, the courage of, of healthcare workers, uh, frontline healthcare workers in general, and to how fortunate we are that to have effectively protected folks like yourself and, and other frontline workers. Yeah, I agree. It's a huge success. And then that's the thing that kind of baffles me a little bit now for our discussion that you're mentioning, physicians who and nurses who don't want to get involved um, with the care of COVID and would rather shunt it onto hospital medicine or pulmonary medicine to kind of bear the brunt of that disease management. And it's just not fair, nor is it necessary. I mean, like we can talk about equity within medicine. It's a big contentious topic, but I just think that if the, the practicality aspect of it, if you're afraid you're going to get sick, you won't, you, you just won't, you, you, you literally won't. I mean, and nothing is perfect, but again, myself, many of my partners, dozens of physicians face to face with the sickest people um, possible with this disease, wearing something as simple as an N95 and a face shield and a gown. And, and that was sufficient. And yeah, I mean, I, I, we didn't know that in March, April, May of 2020, but we feel pretty strong now about that and as much as we can know something in medicine. Yeah, that's great. That's really, really encouraging. I was reminded of this. Uh, I just pulled up the story from the New York Post. You may have seen mm-hmm. it. The, the yeah. title of it is the doctor forced to turn down COVID patients begging for vaccine. The opening of the article, young unvaccinated patients are begging for the COVID-19 shot as they fight for their lives at an Alabama hospital. Uh, Dr. Brittany Cobia has to deliver a heartbreaking dose of reality instead. One of the last things they do before they're intubated is beg me for the vaccine. I hold their hand and tell them that I'm sorry, but it's Cobia who works at Grandview Medical Center in Birmingham wrote in a Facebook post on on Sunday. She wrote that she's been forced to turn down desperate pleas from coronavirus uh, patients about to be placed on on ventilators. So I've thought of that. That's been making the rounds and kind of a hot hot story this week. I'll link I'll link to it in the in our show notes when the episode goes out. the, I don't know, are you seeing anything related to that or any sort of any yeah. awareness of the vaccine from people that, that are sort of, oh, yes. feels? Yes. Yeah. Like I literally admitted a patient to the hospital with very severe COVID two weeks ago overnight. And yeah, I mean, he just asked me, yeah, can I get it now? And yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. It's really hard, even just challenging from a human aspect for me, where this gentleman's unwillingness to get the vaccine meant that I was there at two o'clock in the morning having to bring And it's different when, you know, a, or at least it feels different, even though it shouldn't ethically for me and sort of my professional charge, but it does feel different to be helping someone who is there completely unnecessarily. And we see that often. One could make the argument of you're a smoker and you get cancer, you're obese and you have a heart attack, et cetera. You have diabetes, you don't take care of it and you, you your kidneys fail. A lot of doctors I speak to are frustrated about that. I, I don't as much get bothered by that. I try and meet patients where they are, but I still felt that sense of frustration in that moment as well. 
what a sad interaction to to be in right now and ha- and again have to tell this person that's not the option it's too late that the train has left the station um and would that have changed his decision yes and will that change other people's decisions i don't know it seems like the thing that is most if we're celebrating what does work in the system it sounds like what is helping most with vaccine hesitancy are relationships patients relationships with their doctors doctors and their doctors sound advocating and telling them that which brings us back to one of our big themes from the first season which was around Mm -hmm. this idea of of physician advocacy and why it's Mm -hmm. so why it's so important to have a a physician that has your best interests uh, Mm -hmm. at heart that's wonderful that's great i appreciate that man we you and i don't talk about this detail this this platform gives us a time to explore some of these things with a little more uh a a little more clarity which i really appreciate yeah Uh, you know circling back on our first the early part of our conversation around like the financial Mm -hmm. impact something that we've talked about before i think was in related Mm -hmm. to the united health emergency room piece is one of the big changes that's happened this year that i think is another like what's right in healthcare is is the the surprise medical billing legislation that's that's coming into into effect because there was this really perverse incentive in, in healthcare for those that don't understand what surprise medical bills are. Mm-hmm. are. It's also called balance billing in the industry as a term you'll hear bandied about, uh, around mm-hmm. some. Is that when you when you charge insurance companies for a service, if you are out of network with those insurance companies, and what that means for the average person is like to be in network, you, you have to basically apply. Uh, a, a part of becoming a physician and practicing is you have to request credentials you have to get credentialed with an insurance company in order to get fully reimbursed and it's possible and and surprisingly common in some weird circumstances for providers to either choose to not be or to be out of network or to have something happen where they end up out of network and what happens with surprise medical bills is essentially if that provider shows up as out of network and let's say they've billed the insurance company for three hundred dollars for a procedure or a visit and the insurance company pays zero dollars, then balance billing would be you bill the patient for the remainder of the balance. Mm-hmm. So if that exactly. So mm-hmm. if you bill three hundred and the insurance company reimburses zero, the patient is stuck with the full three hundred dollar bill. Sometimes they'll they'll discount it or they'll 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 do a cash pay discount, but even then they're honestly that that's a that's a drop in the bucket for a number of reasons because very rarely are are these providers getting the full $300 anyways from right. the from the insurance company. And so a uh, surprise medical bill, balance bill, and so the the games that you would have and and famously there are uh, these large emergency emergency departments that um, have done this and and that's an example that's used very frequently and another example is used in relation to these private equity companies that would roll up entities and and play some of these what are called games i think that there you can find so many different anecdotes it's easy to pick on the egregious ones obviously but i'm not sure it was endemic to any one industry but you would, uh, if you worked in an, in an emergency room and mm-hmm. you had providers that were out of network with a specific insurance, let's say Blue Cross Blue Shield, because let's say you just didn't like, you, you think that Blue Cross Blue Shield was going to pay you enough. You're like, it's not worth it. We're not even gonna get credentialed. We're just gonna bill out of network rates and whatever Blue Cross doesn't um, reimburse us, we're just gonna balance bill the patient the the remainder. And in some ways the, the patient doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even have to be related to out of network uh, mm-hmm. situation. So that's the most kind of the most common mm-hmm. example that comes comes into play. And so the legislation that is coming out is really saying that if if you're out of network and you bill the insurance company, 
you can't then turn around and bill the patient. It's restricting providers from playing these from playing these games, which is is seems it's one of those. It's gross, like why did it take this long? Why? Exactly, my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like why now? Why now? Yes, exactly. So, anyways, Trey, I'll, I'll take a breath. Is this something? I'm not even sure. This is something that like is one. It feels this feels like one of those back office things that you and I talk about, where my world mm. is sort of the back office world. Your world is the sort of front of the house clinical expertise world. Did this stuff ever sort of poke its head out in y'all's world at all in terms of stuff that yeah. ever came up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, with the caveat that I work in an institution that services an underserved and largely uninsured population. So they're they're not even really being, we're billing for services, but those services are not being recompensed in, in the traditional sense. And so the, the that's the kind of largely the acceptance. However, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of intermittently people who do have insurance and and those who have had the experience of this surprise medical billing or just exorbitant billing to begin with, even despite having insurance, whether you're within or without the, the network as you describe it. And yeah, I mean, they, they, those people uh, that I see intermittently who explicitly say, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing on me? What is that necessary? So, which I think is very important for patients to think about that just from a healthcare standpoint and not to ask not to think that I think every patient should question their doctor. In fact, part of Translate Your Doctor, which is all about sort of life hacking your doctor relationship, I would advocate don't do that. It would actually make your relationship more sour. Find someone you can trust and can ask questions about targetedly. But if you find yourself with somebody who you have to ask everything about, you should examine yourself and also that relationship and determine whether or not you need a new relationship with a different doctor. But my point is, is just that I don't blame these people when they're like, I got slammed with $30,000 of medical bill because I went to, because I had cholecystitis, like an infection of my gallbladder and I needed emergency surgery and they saved my life. But like at what cost? I lost my car and, and Oh yeah. And, and two, it's so maddening. Like so many things that are wrong in healthcare, a lot of what challenges healthcare the most is how much of the burden we put on patients. And as you've mentioned, we, we both put the burden on the patient and then we in some ways punish the patient when they try to advocate for themselves. Like there's this whipsaw effect. I mentioned to you before, I have a, a family member who went to the emergency room relatively recently with, with a health condition. And this family, this family member asked every single person that came into their room whether or not they were in network with their specific insurance and they they have a, a health exchange a medical plan so it's it's got high it's a higher deductible plan and um, they're in a position where a, a surprise bill would be catastrophic for them mm -hmm. and every person that came into the emer into that yeah. room with them said the exact same thing which is i have no idea i don't know i can't help it yeah and and i don't know either i i know which I know the two. There are two insurance companies that the institution I'm at do not accept, which is very unusual. You think they accept anybody because of the thing, but it's complicated. But so I happen to know those exceptions. But that's a unique thing. But I, I even if I think I was in private practice, maybe I would commit it to memory eventually because of this very problem. But I think that on the average, most physicians have no clue there's enough to know yeah. there's enough to worry about and but they do have a sense of oh that's a thing and i need to be be careful and cognizant that i'm not screwing over my patient but they feel kind of powerless 
Absolutely. And it's not it's not always simple. It seems simple, right? It seems, how, how do you not know what insurance is you take? And to, to advocate on behalf of providers, there are so I'm looking at my old my old employer, Village Health Partners mm-hmm. here in here in Plano, and I'm I'm looking at all of the plans that they take here. And there are under United Healthcare. So United. Oh, I have a United plan. Do you take my United plan? Well, which, which one? United <laughs> plan are you on? Because I'm looking at Village Health Partners uh, website and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and two columns, twenty-four. 25, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. There are 36 United Healthcare right. plans. And if you if you gave out the wrong United Healthcare plan or you said it wrong, we might say, oh, we do take that insurance. Oh, I'm sorry, did we say we do? You you said you're on the United Healthcare core right. HMO. I'm sorry. We we don't take the core HMO. We take the core PPO. When you said you're on the core plan, we thought you meant it. Just it, yeah. it's United Healthcare All Savers, United Healthcare Charter, United Healthcare Charter EPO, United Healthcare Charter PPO, United Healthcare Choice Plus, Core HMO, Core EPO, right. e, just EPO, GEHA, Golden Rule, HMO, Integrated Service, Navigate. Oh yeah. How is anyone supposed to, and again, not to sound like the first season where we were just describing so much of what was wrong in healthcare, but this just, again, it, it highlights that I think if many people who read this le- this legislation and were like the devil's advocate and said, well, it's the patient's responsibility to make sure they go to the right doctor. You know what I mean? I think this is highlights that example of, I mean, it's really hard. On the, and, and the legislation, I'm looking at the legislation here, and again, I'll link it in the in the notes. Mm-hmm. The there the core provisions ban surprise billing for emergency services. Emergency services, regardless of where they are provided, must be uh, treated as on an in-network basis. Great. Bans high out-of-network sharing for emergency and non-emergency services. Um, bans out-of-network charges for ancillary care which, gosh, this is just so, anesthesiologists and assistant surgeons, man, this stuff, it was sometimes just so egregious. At in-network facility, in all circumstances, bans other out-of-network charges without advance notice. Anyways, I'll, I'll link to it. Right, it's just uh, a lot of things. But but the reason they are picking picking on some of these elements, because if you're getting an elective service at a doctor's office, like you, you have time to make sure right. that the person that you're seeing, now, it is still very inconvenient and it is still very hard. So I'm, I'm not saying you should or you can easily, but I, I can get the argument that the patient right. has a chance to some take- Some agency, there's some agency there. If you are having an emergency and you end up in the emergency room, you've, you have no, no agency. EMS brings you where they're gonna yes. bring you. They're gonna bring you the closest hospital. If you get emergency surgery, or not even emergency surgery, if you get elective surgery, you don't know the name of your anesthesiologist. You don't know, there, there's an assistant surgeon. I had no idea. I thought Dr. Sertish was my surgeon. I didn't know that Dr. Figures was also first mm-hmm. assist on the procedure and, and was out of network with my United Healthcare Select EPO plan. Right. So it's just, right, man. so it, it is all that to say, this is such a step in the right direction because I'm someone that like, is very invested in the current state of our healthcare, the healthcare status quo. As much as I want our healthcare system to change, a drastic change to our healthcare system would be very like unsettling for me as someone that's like that knows how to navigate our current system. 
And yet, the most convincing argument you can make for me on a single-player option is that there is no excuse for this stuff working the way it does. It is just an egregious, Mm -hmm. like, ethical abuse for patients and many people that are not, don't have the tools to advocate uh, for themselves. So I'm, we've already talked about it, but it is worth reinforcing yeah. how much of a step in the right direction these these surprise medical bill rules rules are going to be for patients. Yeah, yeah, and I think again, it represents. It's not like it's the first piece of legislation that's trying to curb healthcare spending and abuse, but every time this brick is laid to to further contribute to a road towards a better system overall and one that l- less abuses its users, right? I mean, the people, the very people who need it. And again, the very people that I think a lot of physicians feel helpless to help from that regard. Increasingly, we're better and better about taking care of your medical issues, but we're less adept understanding of how to help with all these other things that crush mm-hmm. people. I mean, just crush people and change their lives and their health in so many ways. So yeah, so I love it when we get these little, well, I wouldn't call it a small victory, but this these victories along the way. Mm, yeah, yeah. Trey, I think that is a perfect mm-hmm. spot for us to uh, wrap up. As always, I wanna remind folks to check us out at translateyourdoctor.com and to reach out to Trey and I at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com. You gotta comment, <laughs> you gotta say something nice about us because Trey and I are fragile and sensitive. <laughs> And we put ourselves out there every week for you all. So saying something nice uh, about us on Spotify or Apple iTunes or however you're, I guess it's not even iTunes anymore, the podcast app on your iPhone. Trey and I would appreciate that a lot. Trey, I always appreciate that you and I take the time to do this every week, man. And we will catch you, catch you next time. Yeah, thanks so much.